0: On Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihira Zazan. This week, we discuss the catastrophic flooding that devastated the port city of Derna in eastern Libya with Malik al Taeb, a Libyan environmental consultant and researcher based in Paris. Stay with us. Residents of the devastated Libyan city of Derna have been desperately searching for missing loved ones after devastating floods that swept away entire neighborhoods and submerged much of the city of Dirna in eastern Libya and swept many out to the sea. Floods in Libya caused by Storm Daniel have already claimed more than 6,000 lives and the death toll is expected to rise as rescuers continue to search for survivors. More than 20,000 people are feared missing. The UN Migration Agency says that more than 30,000 people have been left homeless by the destruction. It is hard to put into words the sheer scale of this disaster, the storm caused deadly flooding in several towns of eastern Libya, but the biggest devastation is in Durna, a city once home to over 100,000 people, where two dams collapsed. A Libyan official told Reuters news agency, quote, I am not exaggerating when I say that 25% of the city has disappeared. Ahmad al Fallah, an aid worker in Durna, told the AP news agency, quote, bodies are everywhere inside houses in the streets and at sea wherever you go you find dead men women and children entire families were lost i spoke with malik al taeb a libyan environmental consultant researcher and writer based in paris about the catastrophic flooding in eastern libya and its immeasurable and far-reaching consequences
1: so far As many Libyans are sharing on social media, the rescue operations are basically retrieving the dead bodies and rescuing people who are under the rebels are still ongoing to this time. Since the the end of the storm, a few countries have sent support, among which uh, Tunisia yesterday night, also Algeria arrived yesterday. A team from France as well. Just a few minutes ago, the uh the Maltese embassy they announced sending a ship with a rescue with, with a rescue team as well. So it has arrived to the port of Benghazi. Kuwait as well sent a team from the Red Crescent. But the situation on the ground so far, with every hour, I think we are realizing the size of the devastation. People are uh, trying to help from everywhere. Libyans are mobilizing their resources both abroad and in the country. Many have been using social media to spread the word, to support those who are in need, to ensure that aid is being sent. And there is so much that is being sent, but there's the problem of entering the the city Mm -hmm. because now there is an increased momentum. So with every hour we see a new development concerning the aftermath of of the storm.
0: So a couple of questions about what you just brought up. The public infrastructure has been devastated by this storm. There is no drinking water, electricity, and the internet has been cut off, but I read that it has been partially restored. The roads have turned into mud and lakes, cutting off access to and out of the city, that had a population of around 100,000 people before this disaster. So what do we know about the plight of tens of thousands of people who survived the disaster, but they lack provisions of basic services? What do you know about what parts of the city is still habitable?
1: I mean, so far concerning the, the parts of the city that are habitable, I believe that there isn't a specific place or specific information that has has been released on the situation because the city in total is considered destroyed and if you see imagery the majority of the city disappeared and many buildings were put down because of the because of the overflow of water uh, from both of the dams and the and the storm so I think talking about or even addressing the parts that would be to an extent uh, inhabitable. I think it's it's still too early for that because there's there are, there are still efforts in trying to support people, rescue those who could be uh, alive on social media, many uh, under the rebels who were able to get a little bit of signal. They managed to send some messages in order to be rescued and to be found. So there is still the question of finding people, and the numbers are quite high, and the number, the death toll is increasing as well. So I think the inhabitation of parts of the city is still an early question to ask, because the the size of the tragedy is very big. And I know someone from Darna, and she survived, and she mentioned on, on social media that Okay, you can rebuild the city, but the people of Derna are no longer there. This hits deep because we're not just talking about a city that was destroyed. We're talking about a city and its people. So this is the toll of this is is very heavy even on those who survived.
0: I was reading that cities like Derna are very close to communities. And you have a block in a neighborhood where extended families, uncles, cousins live. And there is one story of a family losing 71 members. Everybody's gone, basically.
1: Exactly. This is why when we talk about this event, actually, it's not something that that's easy to understand and comprehend because as I mentioned with every um, hour we find out a new development and so on so it's it's very big it's bigger I think than what we can understand it needs an enormous capacity because it's not as I said a city that was destroyed people of extended we're talking about families we're talking about names many families in Derna just disappeared and died we're not talking about when you find someone who yes. was rescued you're gonna find one or two and then they will know that the rest of their family passed away so we're talking about a whole clan and family system and a community that has disappeared and basically died so the, the heaviness of this is is not easy to grasp and it's not easy to to just maybe think about the rebuilding and so on because even the social perspective the strategy is something else i think it's even bigger than the the rebuilding and uh, reconstruction and so on
0: So the destruction seems to be the worst in Derna. What other areas were severely impacted? According to the Libyan television station, Al-Masar, the floodwaters also swept through other eastern settlements, including Shahat, Al-Baida, and Marj. At least 20,000 people have been displaced. So a lot of the focus is on Derna, and rightly so because the scale of the disaster has been so vast. But what about other places in um, area that were hit by this? Yes,
1: there are there are other regions that have been hit by the storm. Uh, there are smaller towns as well. There is the town of Susa, which was declared destroyed as well because of the high intensity uh, of waters. There are other small towns that were hit, but uh, people are trying to spread the word and to remind, uh, share reminders that it's not only Derna that we need to, to support and help, but we need to ensure that uh, support is, is sent equally to other parts. So I've seen, for instance, earlier, a few hours ago, a rescue team and a support team, they were heading to the town of Susa to see if they can help families and rescue those who are maybe uh, under the rebels and so on. So. With the use of social media, many are trying and using their their efforts to ensure that that support is directed to different parts. But we're not only talking about Derna. Yes, Derna is the most severely devastated by the uh, by the storm because of the destroyed dams. But it's not only the case. We have other towns that are affected, and uh, many are trying to direct. Uh, the efforts also to cover those areas.
0: So some people do have access to the internet.
1: Yes, some people got back the internet connection.
0: We were talking about aid delivery. Providing aid in the aftermath of any disaster is crucial to save lives. People are in need of shelter, food, hygiene supplies, and healthcare, particularly for the injured. Given the political chaos, the absence of a functioning central state, that we can talk about more later, it's been difficult to dispatch rescue teams and supplies into Derna, as you said briefly in the beginning, and other affected areas. So who is providing the required assistance? Who is helping to get the aid reach the people who need it the most?
1: I mean, honestly, I think When the storm happened, there was very slow response by countries concerning the situation in Libya and many people. I mean, I myself was a bit shocked to not see an immediate support or even reaction. And as Libyans, many were saying that the situation revealed that basically we are on our own and we need to work together to solve the problem. So I cannot describe how enormous the efforts have been so far. Libyans from all over Libya, literally by all means, from the west to the uh, south to uh, Nafusa mountains and the western part, from everywhere, they have been providing as many support as possible, be it money, be it food, be it people announcing in the eastern part where in areas where they're not affected, that they're opening their homes to displaced people to stay in. So the mobilization of efforts of Libyans specifically in terms of providing aid and sending everything that they can do, and even people volunteering and going to um, the eastern part has been enormous. And that's been the case with local initiatives. There are many initiatives, for instance, in the West, for example, uh, Anna Taufiq. It's an initiative, nonprofit, and they have been working for years in volunteering and supporting many communities in the country. And now they are providing help to the eastern part and in Derna. There's also Trablus uh, El Khair, Tripoli the Good. It's another local initiative which does the same. And they have been mobilizing their efforts and young people from different ages, they're trying and offering whatever they can provide to send the right aid to the people. So I believe that Mm -hmm. the locally Libyans have been doing and still are doing an enormous effort. The Red Mm -hmm. Crescent have been working so hard in terms of, and their volunteers, in terms of rescue operations, in terms of making sure data entry, in terms of those who who survived, in terms Mm -hmm. of helping finding other people or sharing messages of extended family members looking for their lost families in in Derna and so on. So locally, they are doing a lot of effort, the community-wise. But for now, I think it's entering slowly because there's a lack of coordination from authorities in the eastern side on how to ensure that the help is getting there the right way. For instance, there are many roads uh, leading to Darna that are now emerged in water. So one of the images that was shared, an aerial one, a truck was trying to get food and other services to Darna, but basically the truck stopped because it could not move further no. because the road is completely merged in water. So This is the issue. I think the lack of of good Mm. coordination by authorities, there's a huge delay and it shows that the country is not prepared whatsoever to such events.
0: Malik, why do you think the initial responses to the disaster in Libya were slow, both by the international media as well as governments? In the West
1: I think honestly with this case there is a, a responsibility that needs to be taken because if we talk about the international community they already knew that the uh, uh, the storm was hitting Libya and and it found its way to to Egypt but the the announcement was not addressed by many governments it was more of like a silence nature when the storm happened. And then Libyans started to, to share and widely speak and so on. So when the momentum increased, I think the international community started to declare or announce certain statements and so on. But I think also it's linked to the political situation in the country, the state of isolation and the fact that Libya has been addressed only in terms of political fragmentation, elections, let's say social reconciliation and so on uh, refugees as well the irregular migration so so i think because of this state of isolation that libya has been in for for a few years it isolated it automatically when it comes to to topics like extreme weather events and it was not even announced quickly by local authorities in terms of media and so on so it took a while when it started on social media, then it started to gain more momentum uh, from media outlets in the Arab region and then in international media outlets.
0: Given the political chaos and instability, who is in charge of making sure that the survivors are receiving what they need? I mean, who is in control? Because you have the eastern part that's governed by General Haftar and his forces, and then you have the western part of Libya that is led by the government that's recognized by international community. So how does this work at this point?
1: I mean, for now, what we saw actually, which is to an extent in the beginning, hopeful that both entities have been trying to manage this in a good way, but still there are a lot of missing information and I would say there are a lot of speculations. I mean, yes, there isn't, I think, another way for dealing with this unless they join efforts. So we're seeing from the East an effort from Haftar forces to provide support. We're seeing from the West support from the GNU. So we're seeing efforts because there isn't another way actually but there are a lot of questions still in terms of the effectiveness of the coordination ensuring that the operation is running smoothly and so on so there are a lot of fallouts yes it's it's quite hopeful to see that the entities are working together and not against each other in this tragedy but i think we still need to wait and see how things unfold mm. in the next few days given that the storm is is over
0: and gnu is
1: the government Libyan National Unity, Unity
0: Government, uh, yeah. based
1: in Tripoli. Yes, okay. the recognized government.
0: So let's spend some time talking about why this disaster happened in the first place. Unfortunately, we cannot predict when an earthquake is going to hit, but hurricanes and storms can be predicted to some extent. People yeah. could be given evacuation orders or move into shelters. Libya's National Meteorological Center said a couple of days ago, that it had issued early warnings for a Storm Daniel and, quote, extreme weather event 72 hours before its occurrence and notified all governmental authorities by email and through media, quote, urging them to take preventive measures. It is said that Baida, one of the affected cities, recorded 16,000 0.3 0.3 inches of rain from Sunday to Monday. So what happened? Because the two rival governments, they did shut down the refineries.
1: I mean, it was already known that the storm is coming. Mm-hmm. Based on the information, That it's, it's uh, still conflicting because many are saying that they were not informed that the storm is uh, is going to be severe and that they have to evacuate while others are saying that they were informed but they were informed on the day of the storm so and still they were just advised to to leave but not in a pressuring way in order for people to realize so i think the awareness aspect from uh, governmental officials was not was not effective was not done in any way that would actually make people realize that they actually need to leave because the situation would most likely be, be severe. So I think the awareness aspect is the main question here. And, I, and I've seen many discussing online saying that they didn't anticipate, people didn't anticipate this level of severity. So because as Libyans, we're not used to this level of, of extreme weather events. And this is the first time that an event like like this happens. But now, what we saw is that yes, the storm was very heavy, but in Derna it was amplified by the destroyed by the destroyed dams. But as I mentioned, I mean it's an it's an awareness question here. Authorities really, I think they belittled the storm and what was going to happen because uh, no early warning systems were implemented no effective plans there was no spreading of of the word regarding this uh, because there's the question of did really everyone knew about the storm this is another question I mean there are many cities in the eastern part and many neighborhoods so did Everyone actually knew and didn't leave. So, there are a lot of questions here, but I think it's a question of awareness. Governments knew that there was a storm coming, given that it was already known that it's going to pass Libya after Greece. And on satellite imagery, you can actually see how the uh, storm mm-hmm. is moving uh, until it reached Libya and the center strength of the storm. So, but the awareness level, and I think it was taken lightly that this. Would actually happen as a result. When you say the authorities did
0: not inform people, what do you exactly mean? Because the fact is that Libya has two rival governments: to the east and the west. Benghazi, Derna, and the eastern part of the country is under Haftar's control.
1: Yeah. So for the eastern, for the eastern part, it's Haftar's authority or. Uh, the uh, the military rule there was a video circulating and showing a um, military cars announcing on the day of the storm uh, that people are advised to leave their houses while others uh, from the area saying that no one anticipated this and we didn't know that it was mandatory to um, to actually leave while others saying that it was not stressed enough and so on. So there are different aspects. But in terms of like information, it's basically uh, the eastern part and the authorities, that area.
0: Storm Daniel, which wrought devastation across the Mediterranean last week, killed 15 people in central Greece. It flooded parts of Bulgaria, Turkey. And on Sunday, it reached the eastern part of Libya, dumping more than 15 inches of rain in 24 hours and causing major flooding. Derna is bisected by Wadi Derna, a seasonal river that flows from the highlands to the south and normally protected from flooding by dams, but the two dams collapsed. And now there are reports that the dam in Benghazi could also be breached. Can you talk a little bit about the geography where Derna is located? and the location of these two dams. And what made Derna and surrounding cities vulnerable to such shocking levels of destruction?
1: For Derna, I think what made it worse is that it's located in in a lower level land. So it is between two wadis, basically. Since it's a coastal city, one of the dams is at the back, which if we imagine how the water flows, it flows from the back which is considered the beginning of the city, like the entry of the city. And then you move forward until you reach the sea. So that dam at the entrance of the city, the issue with it is that the size basically, also maintenance perspective, the dam was built decades ago. It hasn't been maintained or supported. I mean, dams in Libya face uh, real issues when it comes to maintenance and the management of dams is considered very weak. And it's been the case for years, especially in the eastern part. So for that dam, given its status, given the fact it was already warned years ago that the dams are not in good shape and they need to be maintained and so on. And as the storm started, it was filling up with water. But again, nothing was done to reduce the pressure and let some of the water from the other side at least to reduce the level of the water and manage the increase in water volume. And it was not the case when the water started to, uh, uh, to uh, fill up the dam and then due to the intensity and high volumes of water and the structure of the dam, given that it's weak and it has a lot of issues, It ended up uh, destroyed and all that quantity of water started to overflow inside the city towards the sea.
0: So Wadi, just um, for our listeners, what is the Arabic word for a river valley?
1: Yes, for a river valley. Exactly. Apologies, (laughs) I didn't translate it.
0: Yes. So a couple of questions here. You have done work on dams in Libya. You said that dams, especially in the eastern part of the country, were neglected for many, many years. Why?
1: It's mainly because of, and it goes back before the, the former regime. We're not talking about the issue of dams. It's not an issue that just started after 2011. It's an issue that has been going on since before 2011, when the country was run by the former regime. And given how the former regime structured water facilities and managed water services in the country, it has caused, eventually, to, to imbalance in that management and neglect for certain services connected to water, one of which is dams. Yes, there are dams in the country, but before that, Libya manages, or let's say the government Manage used at that time, but it's still the case now, it still manages water through different institutions. We have the uh, General Water Authority. We also have the uh, Great Man-Made River Project Authority. We have this Desalination Authority and so on. So there are multiple governmental bodies and institutions.
0: And these are all based in Tripoli? Uh,
1: Some of them are in the east. Mm -hmm. The Great Man-Made River Project Authority is in the east so when we when we have many authorities running the same resource we're talking about one resource and not different resources at that time the major funding and management and focus was on the great man made river project given that it's not complete so it was already running from the early 80s until basically now but let's say the active uh, work on the great man-made river project stopped right when the revolution started so when that focus was mainly on the one project which is the great man-made river project there was a neglect for other services here we're talking about wastewater treatment for instance Mm -hmm. is not well developed desalination is there as an official governmental body but basically it doesn't have that power or control and they also have issues linked to maintenance neglect and so on although we have uh, desalination facilities in the country and one of which is the dams management of dams lack of funding support and so on and power structure focuses on certain aspects rather than an equal distribution among different uh, facilities so that's what left uh, dams quite visible even though there are many dams around the country and they could have had an effective role if they were maintained in a better manner.
0: So these two dams that were destroyed, breached, they were constructed to protect the city from flooding.
1: Uh, But they ended up Destroying the city. That it
0: ended up destroying the city. The dams were constructed in the 1970s by a Yugoslavian company. The upper dam was called the Albilad Dam, with a storage capacity of 1.5 million cubic meters of water. Whilst the lower dam, the Abu Mansur Dam, had a storage of 22.5 million cubic meters. Has
1: there been a plan in place? to maintain these dams? This is the question to be asked because maintenance is not periodic. It's not consistent. As far as I know that many dams haven't, especially in the East, they have not been maintained since the early 2000s. So you can imagine that now it's been 20 years yeah, uh, for dams, for many dams in terms of maintenance and so on. So it's not a year or two. I mean, there isn't a consistent structure or a periodic plan or focus and management on the dams around the country. And the neglect continues every year. And we we saw it in this case with the dams in in Darna. If the dams were in a good shape, in a good position, and if Mm. the management was quite active, this strategy could have been avoided. I'm looking at a map. Uh, Libya is an oil producing
0: country. And the country is zigzagged with gas pipelines, crude oil pipelines, five refineries, oil fields. The gas pipeline runs from the east to the west along the Mediterranean coast. So do we know if these gas pipelines have been impacted by the storm?
1: So far, we don't have any information concerning the pipelines and nothing has been worn, especially by the um, national oil corporation, because the national oil corporation runs the oil fields and so on and manages all the pipelines. So so far, there hasn't been any information on that. Because if there has been, the national oil corporation works quite effectively in relation to the sector, and they take their uh, their work quite seriously. I I would say, but so far, nothing has been shared. Or even uh, stated by the um, National Oil Cooperation, we need to keep an eye, and that's why, for now, satellite imagery, for instance, is giving a lot of good support in open source analysis. The
0: tragedy in eastern Libya underscores how climate change, coupled mm. with authoritarianism, corruption, lack of a functioning and caring government, economic failures, inequality, can magnify a disaster. And Libya is just one example. We, we see it in Morocco, in Iran, Iraq, and other places in the MENA region. Can you talk about the impact of climate change and existential risk to coastal population centers? 70% of
1: yeah.
0: Libyans live along the coast.
1: It's over now, 70% impact of climate change in in general in Libya, I mean, we've been witnessing the rising impact and the level of intensity in the past few years. So it's not something that people are now experiencing, but it's been happening for the past few years, for instance, in terms of the rising temperatures. I mean, the climate of Libya in general is considered between arid and semi-arid countries. Mm -hmm. And given that Syrian climate and over 90% is uh, of its land is desert it is adequate to the high temperatures and hot summers but what we're seeing now is that there is a clear imbalance in seasons for instance so now as years go on people are observing more and more longer summers shorter warm winters. In summer, it's not just a hot summer, it's actually an extremely hot, blazing summers. And the temperatures are not normal to the temperatures that people are used to during the summer. we have seen in the past few years a drastic decrease in rainfall, An increase in drought many areas for instance especially areas that are considered agricultural lands have faced severe droughts uh, for a few years and especially in areas where they depend on rainfall fed agriculture so the impact has been increasing year after year And now we could see it with the extreme weather events. Libya is not used to extreme weather events. We don't have early warning systems. We don't have even the culture of disasters, natural disasters, and the um, comprehension of the intensity of these disasters. And I think the storm was somehow a wake-up call that, Climate change is actually now, it's not something we're we're still waiting to happen. And all the, I would say, all the um, tangible signs that people have been witnessing in the past few years uh, were actually intensified year after year, reaching to extreme weather events, which is something that is considered an abnormality now.
0: A couple of days ago, you wrote an article about what it takes to prevent another catastrophe in Libya. And you write, quote: “The catastrophic aftermath of the Mediterranean storm Daniel in Libya and its impacts on the surrounding regions has demonstrated yet again the reality that climate change is a global crisis with far-reaching and immediate repercussions. It is essential to act swiftly at all levels, local, national and international. To confront this environmental emergency, enhance resilience, and protect vulnerable communities from extreme weather conditions. Again, given the state that Libya is in, is it even possible to talk about mitigation adaptation measures to deal with at least the short and mid-term consequences of the climate crisis hitting Libya?
1: Indeed, I mean, now it's actually, uh, we should know that Libya is considered the only country, I think, in the region that doesn't have an adaptation and uh, mitigation, climate mitigation plans, unlike other countries uh, within the region, but worldwide, especially when we talk about the uh, conference of the parties that happens every year under COP. So we could see that the lack of mitigation and adaptation plans in Libya showed that not having or the absence of these plans could lead to adverse effects and this is what we saw. We have a storm, we don't have any type of adaptation or mitigation plans to tackle this issue, we don't have the right instruments, we don't have a structure for each plan in order to follow those plans in the case of of a climate emergency. So the main problem is concerning the environmental situation in general and how governments, or let's say official bodies, are tackling this. In which what we saw now that it was revealed that clearly governments never cared about climate change and environmental issues, and it was never a priority. And as a result, we ended up having this this intensity of, of a disaster.
0: Malik before we end I want to ask you for people who are interested in helping the uh, affected populations in eastern Libya what's the best way to go about it
1: One of the best way is to check the Red Cross and the Red Crescent both of them have uh, donations to Libya. So especially the Red Crescent, given that they directly work and coordinate with other agencies. So the Red Crescent, I would advise as the main one to provide, uh, to donate to. Also the Red Cross, which is providing support. There is also an initiative uh, called Libya in in the UK, and it's a trusted source that people can actually check. They have started the donations since the storm happened, and they also provide alternative donation sources, trusted sources, that would ensure that the money is sent to the right people, and it's going to be used effectively in providing aid and supporting uh, those affected.
0: Malik al Taib is a Libyan environmental consultant, researcher, and writer based in Paris. From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. Stay with us.